Hey guys, Hella Bass back with episode number 23. This week we talk with Elite Series rookie Destin Demarion. Uh, we talk about the season so far, the upcoming Northern Swings, the surprise change to the Cayuga event, uh, and cover a lot of good stuff. Some Ned Riggin tips, some frog stuff, uh, how he approaches practice and things like that. There's a lot of good nuggets in this interview. Also, if you're looking for fishing tackle, feel free to check out omniafishing.com and use my code RICHLINGREN15, all one word, to save 15% on an order. Uh, I know uh, everybody's buying up tackle everywhere and they're shipping super quick when a lot of places are slow. So definitely worth a try. Uh, if, if you can get all that, go ahead and check the links in the podcast description or in my videos. Hope you enjoy this and here to help you suck less. Enjoy the episode. Just like that, we should be live with Mr. Demarion. So, yeah, give us a second. People roll in here. Um, assuming there wasn't a thousand people just waiting to come in. Uh, I'm sure there were flooding. It was like a COVID yeah. uh, quarantine nightmare. Just hordes of people. They probably want to hear about uh, Cayuga and like uh, how much you were going to smash them. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely going to catch 25 pounds a day, like so easily. <laughs> yeah. What's up, Jay? How's, how was the sound, Jay? How do how's the sound for both uh, Destin and myself since you're in here first? Mr. Connor, you weren't first this time, but you're close. Once we once you guys say the sound sounds good, we'll kind of jump in this. We've already got five thousand live viewers, or five one to two. Jason's were so. That's what uh, that's what Luke Duncan always says when he goes live. He's like, "Oh, we got eighty-two thousand." <laughs> Just oh, adds oh, that uh, all? extra three zeros. So yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Thanks, Destin, for joining on the stream. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's it's actually works out good timing because we're catching you before you're going to get real busy. Hopefully, fishing tournaments here. Uh, so. Good time, and hopefully you'll be busy doing winners interviews and top ten interviews and that kind of stuff going forward. That uh, would be pretty nice. Yes, maybe just for a few because you are an elite series rookie, so maybe and we've only had two elite series derbies, right? And so he probably has had a chance to meet you because you you've had some okay finishes, but you haven't you haven't crushed them. You haven't fished in a lot of day fours yet, so maybe uh, just give the uh, the viewers a little bit. On uh, who you are. What's up, Tom? A little bit of your path. You don't have to go real depth, but uh, and how you made the elites, I guess. Yeah. So um, my name is Destin Marion. I'm a rookie. I uh, made the elite series this past season through the Eastern Opens. I had fished the Northern and Southerns for a few years until it became the Easterns. Uh, my first year, I think I finished eighth, and the points just missed. And then the years in between are kind of more up and down. And then last year, able to finally kind of bring it back together, finish second in the points. And uh, it's, you know, a lifelong dream of mine, so it's pretty cool. I mean, under under these circumstances, it's kind of an interesting rookie year, not just, um, right. you know, from the, like, COVID side, but obviously, like, just the ups and downs of, like, hey, we're going to have a tournament, not going to have a tournament kind of thing. So it's been – it's been interesting, but I mean, it's the same for all of us, and it's it's yeah. pretty cool that um, you know we can look back on this one day and talk about our first season being this this crazy one. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you're from like the Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania, is that right? Yeah, I am. Um, I grew up just about an hour north of Pittsburgh, and uh, my wife and I have an apartment. We live uh, like on the north side of Pittsburgh now. You from there like all your life, the Pennsylvania area, or for the most part? Yeah, I, we moved there when I was like two or three. Uh, nice. I was born in California, Los Angeles, and then we all my life where I was coherent. Yeah, I lived there. So you should have like some big swim bait genetics somewhere in there. You would think so, but man, I just I can't get on board with like those the Palinix and the Jockamsons with those glide baits. I just I feel like it's not a very like stable tournament strategy i mean it's fun no. as heck to catch them on it, but it's just for like sure. for me i super, just feel like i'm more super, super niche when it comes to tournaments oh like, yeah niche as it gets for tournaments yeah i mean you could definitely pop a giant fish in tournament doing it but it's either feast or famine yeah so here's a good question from connor while we're just kind of warming up he wants to know what's our favorite bait to throw both of us so you can go ahead and go first uh, so mine would be a hollow body frog. I'm a nice. big time topwater lover of the exciting bites. Yeah, I just got on my first good frog bite on Friday the third. Like, I mean, I've caught a few fish, but a day that was good. Nice. Actually, that recent video we actually just put up on yesterday that we got in some decent frog fish and a lot of a lot of skipping frogs around docks and. Uh, small gnats and just more tactical, not like bombing it out there on big flats, but just more tactical oh, yeah. kind of like tight quarter. Yeah. And, and we had, we got, this lake has a lot of run in and any little place we could find a little tiny pipe or a little, little drain coming in, there'd be two, yep. three fish on every one of those. Guaranteed. Yeah. Cool. I, yeah. I mean, like top waters, that's a hard one to pass up, but I think for me day in and day out, I like to lock a jig in my hand. <laughs> like that's it catches big fish. I mean, everywhere in the country, you can catch them on a jig. It's a good, good bait. Very versatile. And I wouldn't say it's like not the f most fun, but it's my most confident tournament bait. I guess would be a good right. way to. So cool. Uh, on the flip side of the glide baits, that is a very solid tournament strategy. Almost everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so what do you what would you call your home waters? Like if if the if like I guess the home home waters and like your home tournament waters where you could actually like where what would your if the elite series could visit a stop that would could like hold it what would be that home waters? So I'm a Lake Erie guy. Um, I'm not okay. too far from there. I went to college in mm -hmm. Erie, PA. So you know I cut my teeth in like Presque Isle Bay, Lake Erie proper right there. I would say my favorite part of Lake Erie would honestly be that West Basin or even around Buffalo. I like those a little bit more even than the EPA part of it. So if they could put one there, I'd be pretty pretty excited about it. And are you, are you still going to fish that Toyota series coming up? or the things uh, That's tomorrow, I believe. Oh. Um, if, yeah, I was actually looking into it. If we would have known about the Q tournament last week, I'm pretty sure I was sure. going to get into it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. St. John's is also kind of like my second home water, too. Because I got yeah. down in Florida, so I've done that for about four years. And um, St. John's in the winter, springtime is where I'm there. And that's that's kind of become one of my favorite places, too. That definitely has got to help you diversify a little bit, like, because that's totally different than home, like, in so oh, yeah. many ways. But that exactly. definitely like flip out your game, for sure. 
Yeah, you know, when I get the opportunity, my buddy I met through Fishing Opens, his name is Larry Cahan. He runs a, a lodge down there. And when I got my captain's license, it's probably about six years ago, he said, hey, I need guides down here. And I was like, shoot, I'm young. Let's jump on this opportunity. It's going to help me, yeah. you know, in the future. And I, I told my wife, I was like, I bet you a good chance our first tournament will be in St. John's when I make the elites at some point. And sure enough, it was. <laughs> Oh, uh, Balin21 wants to know what your favorite finesse technique is. Let's let's say favorite smallie finesse technique, just to keep it interesting. Man, it is very tough to beat a Ned Rig. I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the Ned Rig. I've been throwing on Erie for a long time now. Okay. Um, and it's it's something that I always have tied on on smallmouth fishing. It is It catches them everywhere. I've been slow to come around to the net, but this year I'm finally starting to catch a few and starting to believe in it. So. You'll be a believer. <laughs> I, I would say cool too, honestly. Shot for me is still above the net rig, but okay. Uh, so let's maybe talk about like your elite series has been short. Uh, you, you got to go on basically your home waters. Maybe tell us how, I mean, it was crazy. I don't know, if did, in your four years, had you ever seen conditions like that? No, and and I think the reason being is generally I would start guiding about that same time um, sure. because people wouldn't want to come down to the lodge until it started warming up a little bit because they knew the fishing wasn't as good too. So I, we'd usually get done with the first Southern Open and I would kind of take some time and go to Toho and Okeechobee and Harris Chain and stuff and then get back up to St. John's when it started to guide. And it's generally really tough um, when it's cold there, especially without the grass. Um, a lot of our eelgrass has been gone since um, the hurricane, the last hurricane. Like two seasons ago, right, I think? Yeah, I'm trying to think which two one. Of, yeah, about two years. Yeah. Two, two, three, honestly. But, yeah, that really messed a lot of things up and changed the river big time. Um, right. A lot of different strategies. Um that weren't really factors started coming back into play because I mean, the river ebbs and flows like no pun intended since it's a tidal river. Like they've had cycles where the old grass is gone and it comes back over the years. So like some of the older guys that I fished with at the lodge, you know, or guides, like they had seen this before and they said, you know, it's just part of it. It happens. I mean, some people think it's the end of the world, but it'll come back eventually. Yeah, absolutely. And so what, what, I mean, your practice, like, I guess, to walk us through high level, like what you thought you were going to do, what you yeah. saw in practice, and then after the two days of not competing in 700 mile an hour winds, what happened for you in the tournament? Yeah, so like everybody else, I'm sure they wanted to fish those two days if it was better conditions, because sure. leading up to the tournament, we did have a nice warm, like warming trend. So that was really setting up the fish to be in a place where, you know, we could all really smash them. Um, they were starting to get in those bedding areas. They're starting to bed a little bit right before that front came in. So going into the tournament, I knew I'd have to have, you know, offshore stuff and other patterns going on just to survive in case the bed fishing, the shallow fishing stuff did not pan out. And for me, I kind of got sucked into the shallow stuff after my last day of practice. I found a lot of really big bed fish, went straight to them. I knew 
after those fronts, it would be a shot in the dark if they'd still be there. I caught a couple of decent-sized bucks that were still in the area, but all the females were just not not there. And pretty much everyone in those areas completely just bombed. I eventually left, but I wasn't able to really call up that day. And the second day, I just was like, I'm just going to run my river stuff up by the ramp and catch 10 or 11 pounds and be fine. That's what I did. Yeah, cool. Nice. So you said, I think you, you made a check, right? You made a top. I did. Yeah, top 45 or 40. Yeah, like solid. Uh, and then you take a nice long break. Did you, so did you work the classic? I did. Yeah, I was at the classic. I assumed you were there. I don't know if I ran into you nope. or not. No, I wasn't there. No. Uh, well, I missed the last big event before the Rona hit. <laughs> I think a lot of people actually got it after that from the yeah. classic. Because a lot I mean, of guys sure was, competed were really sick afterwards. A lot of people said I got the flu, but at the time, exactly. they were, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, a week later, oh, we're gonna shut the country down. Yeah, okay, I'm pretty sure everybody yeah. had COVID. Nice. Yeah. So then, uh, well, here's one question, maybe while we. So White Whale says, "Have you ever fished that reservoir by Sebastian? Is he talking about something you would know?" Sebastian, yeah, that's in Florida. Um, I don't know specifically which, maybe like um, Stick Marsh or uh, there's another lake that's just full of hydrilla and really good punching mm -hmm. lake. What filthy pirates! I'm sorry, I'm just looking at another comment. Yeah, that's the same guy. <laughs> so in Florida, I see yeah, um, plaque areas where I'm based out of when I'm down there. But I assume you're talking about like Stick Marsh or one of those ones around there. Um, no, I have not fished that. I fished um, Garcia, the one they had the MLF event on. I like that one mm -hmm. just to screw around. But now it gets a heck of a lot of pressure after the MLF event. So it's a little mm -hmm. bit harder. A lot of those lakes, after the people find out where they are and what how good they are, they're, they're just ruined. <laughs> so was that the – have you been to a lot of classics or was that one of your first ones or – that was the first one since I was – I've only been to two. First one since I was like 14, 15 years old. Oh, first time time. Working yeah. the first time working. Okay. Correct. First time How working. Was what did you think of it as a um, – It was pretty cool. It was yeah. different, definitely a different experience, obviously, because last time I, I didn't even go to the expo. I just showed up for the, the weigh-in and stuff, which was super sure. cool in Pittsburgh. But it was really cool. Um, got to talk to a lot of people and just got to really experience it from a different perspective, and it was – it was very, very cool. I, I enjoyed it. Looks like he's talking about Felsmere. Is that ring a bell? Yeah, that's oh – gosh, I can't remember the name of that lake. Sure. It's like back some, like, really far dirt road. I know what he's talking about. Hmm. No, I've always wanted to go, but I just never took the time when I was down there. So what lake do you fish the most? Maybe a little honey hole. So that would probably be more, like, back by – Pittsburgh or there's an Erie. Oh, or, yeah. I, I will tell you about one lake because it's a horsepower restriction. It's kind of close to where I grew up, so I fished it a lot. It's called Wilhelm, Lake Wilhelm. Okay. It's like a 20 horse lake, but it is chock full of big, large mouths. And it is very much like a southern fishery. And it has definitely helped me kind of brush up on that stuff before you know i started fishing more southern events and things like it was one of the ones where i learned how to offshore fish a little bit and one that i just learned how to really fish for 
five or six bites in a day and just fish for big fish. Nice. Not like not full of grass either. Is it kind of like a it little resin? Yeah. So um, there's been a couple of PA pros from around here over the years, and a couple of times they would take some guys from you know down south to Wilhelm. And those guys coined it as the Guntersville of the North. And, and it is. Okay. It kind of sets up like a little Guntersville. It's got full of milfoil and some other grass, too. But um, it's mostly a shallow little reservoir. Um, stained water, except where the grass is growing real good. You'll have a little bit more clarity. But stump fields, offshore, you know, road beds, all kinds of stuff where you can you can fish pretty much however you want there. It's cool. Nice. And it's got giants. Sounds juicy. <laughs> it is juicy. You, it's not the place you're gonna go and catch like fifty, bro. but right. if you go almost every time, you're gonna catch at least five pounds. Nice. Make a play about that. That's where you got to take those swim baits, and that's where you can build your confidence. Yeah, exactly. I'll be throwing the twelve inches. I had a uh, bass there spit out a ten inch gizzard shad once, like still nice. alive, clicking. It was down his throat. I don't know why I even ate my bait. <laughs> So let's talk maybe just a, a minute or two about how, how do you follow go? I mean, speaking of Gunnersville, a lot of people say you follow fishes like a TVA lake to some degree. It's not a TVA, but what did you think? Had you, had you been there before? Uh, no. Okay. Did no, you... I, I hadn't. Um, I, I went there in January, you know, just to pre-fish a little bit, assuming we're going to have a tournament there in April, like right. on my way you know, down to fish St. John's in Chickamauga, where I also pre-fished on my way down. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, much different scenario that time of year. Uh, the water was up and, and really stained at that time. But, um, yeah, I don't know if it necessarily fishes like TVA. It's definitely not as, like, predictable with the current, I think, as, like, the TVA is. Um, right. The brush pile thing is a bigger, much bigger factor, I feel like, than most of the TVA. So I think um, I usually try to focus on shallow when I go to those places because I just don't have much experience with the ledge fishing TVA stuff. So when I've done well, like I did well at Chickamauga last year, I just went shallow and caught them. Mm -hmm. And you follow, I had some good bites in practice every day, but it was very inconsistent of like, when the bites are going to come and where they're going to come. So I just never felt really dialed in on that one, but I did have one good offshore spot that I gave to another guy for day three. And he ended up catching a couple of his good fish off of it too. And I caught some of my fish second day where I had a decent day. So I did find one good offshore spot. <laughs> nice. Cool. So that kind of leads us up to this week, which you were probably just about ready to like load the boat and head to Cayuga any day. <laughs> oh yes. You got the text. What time did you guys get the text today? I think it was about 10, 1022 is what I remember. But I didn't even look at my phone until probably one o'clock because I was just out on St. Clair fishing and I started catching them, so I wasn't really worried about checking my phone at the time. But I kind of knew just after yesterday we hadn't heard, you know, for sure, sure. they're gonna have a tournament. Something was something was off, so it's disappointing. I mean, I, I went pre-fish there, and I've fished there a couple times, but not much um, in the past. So I was just excited to fish somewhere cool and kind of new. Yeah, I mean, I, I think by all accounts, like there was going to be flipping grass was going to be a strong pattern there, oh, yeah. and 
uh, you know, most, I mean, do you, are you, would you consider yourself, like, do you like fish and grass? Is that like, in your yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely a grass fisherman. We, I grew up all these places around me have a lot of grass, including Presque Isle Bay and, you know, Wilhelm and Pimatumi is another really good lake around me too. Um, and they all are very much milfoil lakes. So you're right at home with a three quarter ounce weight and a, a creature or a jig and just search it out. <laughs> fish in the grass type thing? Yeah, I don't mind that, but I'm more, I'm more of a moving bait guy if I can. Um, so if I can, I probably would have put a crankbait in my hand if if it was going to happen at Cuyuga and just went with it the whole time kind of thing. So of the two, was it Champlain and St. Lawrence? They still feel like are going to happen, right? That's what like... Let's, let's hope so. Fingers crossed, right? Right. Which one of those are you most excited about, or which one do you have you had more experience on, or what are your thoughts on those two? Yeah, I've definitely had more experience on the thousand or uh, not thousand islands, Champlain. I fished way more tournaments there. I haven't fished too many at Thousand Islands, but I'd say I'm more excited about that one just because um, I've never fished a tournament out of Waddington too, that far up the river. So just getting to fish new stretches of the river that I hadn't really done. So I went pre-fished. It was really cool, and I, I feel like it's going to be a fun tournament. I hopefully, hopefully, we have it. Mm -hmm. um, it might be kind of in that post spawny weird time, but that place has got so many good fish. I mean, you're going to find them in a feeding mode somewhere, and it, yeah. it's going to be a fun tournament. And that immediate post spawn time can, I mean, if you like to fish, I don't know if you like to fish shallow smallies, but that can be a good oh, yeah. time to catch bigs. Uh, I mean, 100%. We get a lot of press, but there's usually a handful of guys that do really well in that tournament, not necessarily fishing super deep. So. Oh, yeah. And I think this time of year, you can probably get away with it, too. That's a good question. Connor wants to know, do you fish braid in wood or floral or braid to floral around wood? So usually floral. Um, I feel like braid digs in a little bit yeah. too much. Um, yeah, I don't think I would ever really fish braid in, in wood. Mostly just heavier grass situations. It's kind of where I'm at too. Like punching is like the one time I like braid. There's yep. something about floral that I really like the feel and just am comfortable with. Uh, and I, anytime I'm around hardcover, uh, I like floral because I feel like you can work it through better and like you can snap it off. And you like once it catches and like braid, it's like it's stuck. It's like you yeah. either pull in or you like go in and get it. Like there's no or like you can definitely feather it a little bit. And hopefully not snag it up as bad. You're totally. Right. I agree with that. Do you do any braid to floral for bait casters? Uh, yeah, that's that's you Minnesota guys, like through and through. You guys love that stuff. I mean, <laughs> everybody I've met from Minnesota is like the only people I ever see do it. But I do it a little bit, not a ton. When I do it, I feel like I always. I usually when I'm flipping, I really have a hard hook set, and I probably shouldn't have as hard a hook yeah. set like. I should probably ease up a little bit, but I generally will break it at the knot. Do I say I? No. no. Uh, yeah, same with me. Like, I, I start the day, like, leaning into them and trying to be good, and then I get excited, and all of a sudden it's, <laughs> I can't, like, I don't know. Like, between not tying the perfect knot, not being able to maybe fish a soft rod, and not being able to kind of get that lean down, I usually end up breaking a good fish off and regretting exactly. it. Um, now spinning rods though braided floor all day like that's almost all, all of mine. Yep, all of mine are braided floor. I have one spinning rod that I'll a reel that I'll keep with 
straight floor for like shad wraps and stuff, but that's about it. Yeah. What's up, Ryan? Yeah, thanks. Make sure you guys are liking and sharing so we can get a few more people in here. Uh, Ryan. Um, so you, you were out on St. Clair today. So were you scouting? Yeah. I mean, pre-scouting for the Elite event or fun fishing or? Yeah, scouting. Um, that is somewhere I don't have much experience. I fished a couple as a co-angler. and It's been, shoot, it's probably been eight years, nine years since I've been there. So obviously a lot has changed. I've never taken a boat out there. So I really want to just get comfortable with areas and really run around and, and see, you know, where things were. And, and I was, it was productive. I covered pretty much all the water that we can fish since we're in only in U.S. waters as of now. Okay. So were you, I mean, you, how much fishing did you, how much fishing did you do today versus just driving around and scouting? Um, compared to the last two days, I did more fishing today because yesterday okay. and the day before, I, I did a lot of just driving, looking around, seeing mm -hmm. where the grass is growing, that kind of stuff. Um, not as much fishing, but today I did fish a good bit, and it was a much better day. Like the other two days, I, it was kind of tough, um, but today, definitely a little better. Had some fun today. Yeah, exactly. I was able to catch a few. It helps. Got rid of some of that anxiety and stress and Cayuga, don't care. I'm setting the hook. Like exactly. Right after I saw the text, I, I started catching some goose. I was like, whatever. <laughs> nice. That should be a good derby for sure. Like that. Uh, uh, oh, be yeah. uh, White whale wants to know how do you? So you you were kind of talking about prepping for waters you don't have experience on. He wants to know how do you prep for? You have a lot of experience fishing. Like let's say maybe Champlain or something like that, where you're fairly comfortable and familiar with the water. See, I think that's the place where I'm still trying to like dial that in pretty well because, like people say, having a lot of experience somewhere can honestly hurt you at times because you try to fish history and you try to fish, you know, what what you did well doing before. So I try to like not get sucked into that as much because I mean these fisheries are dynamic and they're changing a lot. So I just try to like do stuff where I know I hadn't done it before just to try to find other patterns and things. And mm -hmm. usually I always have what I did before to fall back on. I'm trying not to keep that as like a crutch, you know, it's just like, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to do, you know, what worked five years ago. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Like I, that's something I have tried to get better at as if even just fishing regionally in tournaments is like, Checking the stuff that you used to fish in practice can be like just super time consuming because like you romanticize and you almost spend more time there because you're like, oh, they should they should be here. And you're like, instead yeah. of just pulling out a few casts and checking it with like one or two baits, you're like, oh, well, maybe if I throw a Carolina rig, maybe if I throw a crankbait, maybe if I dead stick, like, or maybe they're over here. Like, instead of just like fishing the moment, it can really like sap up your practice where you could really be just taking it in for sure. And then exactly. you can back in the tournament you're driving by like oh i'm gonna go fish that old stump or i'm gonna go fish that that little point so yeah exactly i think it's good to just build upon what you already know and spend all your time really doing that and you'll be more productive right. overall but yeah. i once in a while i do get sucked into that and i just try to be conscious of it yeah i mean it, you got to find the balance this is some of some of everything right because some of them spots were good for a reason right so yeah exactly I mean, fish are certain places for a reason. And, and a lot of times they revisit the same places year after year. Yeah. What's up, Lunkers and Lures? What's up, Mad X? Yo. 
Ronner says, is there a big difference between a seven three and a seven foot rod? What are your thoughts? To me there is, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I'm doing stuff where I've generally got a lot of line outs, um, I want to have a little bit more rod to jam them. Um, with a shorter rod, I don't feel like you can – I don't know. Like, there's just not enough flex, and um, I just don't feel like I can jam them as well far away with a 7-4 rod as I can with, like, a 7-3. And even for, like, close-distance flipping, I want to have a little bit more rod than a 7-foot or two. I think actually like it's more than you think because on a hook set you're actually taking double the line because you've got like your three yeah. inches them, and back here, your three inches, you're actually, I think getting six inches of swing. Uh, there you go. So, like, I think it, I never it's thought more, about it like that. That's, that's and uh, I always say you want to fish the longest rod you can that doesn't impede the accuracy or your comfort level fishing the, the lure or the spot or the target. Like, um, like I will drop down to like a seven foot rod on dock sometimes when I'm really yeah. tight and I feel I'm a little more accurate. But a lot of times, I mean, if my preference, I'd rather fish my seven four jig rod day in and day out. Like if I can get away with it, I will still use it, but I like keep that seven footer for really tight, precise stuff. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I'm yeah. of the same mindset, and I think like how tall you are really is yep. a part of that too. So if you're pretty short, like a seven foot rod is going to be similar to what a seven three would be to me. If you're right. shorter, like I'm about six one, so like a seven three rod isn't that long. Like I'm not if I'm fishing a bait, like I'm not generally hitting the water if I'm working it or something because I've got enough room between the water and, and you know the tip. But there's something like seven four. I feel like I can still skip pretty accurately, and I'm mm -hmm. um, like two. Seven six, it starts to get a little clumsy for me trying to like roll cast and like it doesn't seem like much. Two inches is like that seven three seven four is about the break point for a lot of people. I think where you start to, uh, and then I think like that's like typically square bill rods are like seven footers because you're doing a lot of roll casts and accurate and like trying to hit stumps and you know spinner baits and stuff where you're fishing the bank. But then when you get out and you're casting on like the deep cranking, like you would have done at Cayuga, you're going to probably want a seven, six rod or, or an eight footer when you're just, you know, it's so good for really long channel. Yeah. yeah. Same with my frogs. Like I've got a seven, three frog rod and I've mm -hmm. got a seven, nine frog rod. Oh, and wow. One is for, Target fishing and one is for like Mississippi River and like Leech Lake and fishing the rice where you're just like, like chuck it back in there, chucking it like, and then you throw it as far as you can and like they eat it thirty yards away and you can still get the hook set into them, right? So that's true. Yeah, that's I didn't think about that. I don't usually fish too many situations like that, but yeah, I understand why you use longer one because most of the time I do use like a seven three frog, but I'm usually not chucking it back in those rice fields that far. There's your there's your sneaky tip. If you ever come to the Mississippi, up in the upper pools, or if you ever end up on like Leech Lake or like these big like massive grass, the long rod is the key for that. Beautiful. I put that in the memory bank. Uh, so Bill said, "What's up?" He just got back from catching Jane's off ledges. Where's that at? <laughs> I love that one. He said Ned Rig was the deal on the ledges. Ooh, must have been pressured or no current. Yeah, and we were just Bill. You probably didn't see it, but uh, Destin was just saying like he's he's uh, he's he's a Ned believer. He's been using it since it was before it was cool. Is what he was saying, I think. Oh yes, 
Well, I was friends with a lot of Midwestern guys, so they like turned me on to it really early before it was ever hot. And I started messing around with it here and really started dialing in like it a lot. But I haven't done much on the ledges, but I know it's it's been pretty hot lately. Um, I think some of the guys in that FLW tour have been caught them on it. So. Well, sure. Um, I'm sure when the current yeah. wasn't ripping, guys yeah. catching fish for sure. Sycamore said he didn't get the notification going live. Maybe you got to, like, you got the bell and all notifications. You got to make sure that's all checked, Sycamore. Um, White Whale says, what was going to be your go-to baits for Cayuga? I think you said cranks, but, like, yeah, maybe. We covered that one. Crank, so deep what, crank bait for sure. What kind of, like, what what uh, what is your go-to deep crank for that kind of lake? Like, so, like, a Berkeley dredger. So, like, a 17.5 um, okay. range usually. Definitely. I don't know about this time of year. This is kind of early for them to go there, so they could still be fairly shallow in the grass. Um, you might even not even be able to reach them with the crankbait until they get a little bit deeper out there. But, I mean, you go with, like, a little bit shallower, like 10.5 or something like that, too, in the grass. And you got any particular color you think is hot on those New York lakes? So, yeah, definitely New York and just up north in general, perch imitations. I mean, I think – so iCast is coming up. Um, dredgers are going to have the new HD colors, so they've got like the really realistic perch colors. So that would be a pretty good one to use up there. They've also got uh, owl wives up there, so anything kind of that would mimic like a bait fish. So your shad kind of patterns would mm -hmm. would mimic the owl wives as well. It doesn't seem like intuitive, but up in Minnesota, even though we have clean water, I, I still like that that uh, parrot color, that blue and chartreuse. Yeah, sometimes those like colors don't make sense. You just you just like to eat them. I don't know why. Cool. I don't know. YouTube's trying to hold me down, guys. Not send out notifications. Um, Bill said he was up in Maine. That's where he was catching them on Ned. So. Ooh, ledge fishing up in Maine. Interesting. Said they wouldn't touch the big worm, the jig, or the crank. Those are the worst kind of fish. Oh yeah, I'd rather catch them on the the fun heavy duty stuff too so you kind of said you're like ned is like your secret weapon like maybe give us some tips or maybe break down your setup and do you do different for different for smallmouth kind of run us through like what works for you and what your favorite setups are and baits for those yeah so generally when i'm throwing ned rig i'm throwing a, on a seven foot medium spinner rod um i is want Abu or what kind of? Yeah, stuff? Abu. So like, uh, I throw mostly my spinning stuff is like super high end Abu, Fan Fantasies Premieres, um, the the really really light sensitive stuff because anything where it's such a feel, so the Nez, the drop shot, that kind of stuff. That's where I really want to, you know, pay a little bit more money for my my setups. So like my spinning setups, a really good flipping stick. There's a couple of rods I would definitely splurge on, but. It, the spinning stuff that's really your sensitive rods, yeah, I would splurge on those a little bit. So, okay. like we were talking, braid to fluoro, I'm generally throwing on eight pounds if I can get away with it. Sometimes ten if it's a little bit more, you know, snag like snaggy and abrasions and stuff. I might throw it on ten and I can get away with it. But um, I get, um, I use the owner blockheads. They've got the new weedless one out that just came out too. But I also get some custom ones made with some owner super needle points. I got a guy sure. um, in New York that makes them for me. His name is Joe. And uh, he makes me some pretty sick net heads that 
pretty much if you hook the fish, he's not getting off. It hooks him in the top of the mouth every time. We've really dialed that in. You know, my buddies have been working on that net head for probably the last three years, just changing things. But that's generally you, don't my any, you don't got any of those heads handy for show and tell, do you? Uh, yeah, I might have, might have one. I'm trying to think. No, they're out of my boat right now. I've got some of the block here. So those are the blockheads. Those are the weedless ones. People can actually buy those. So. Yeah, you can buy these ones. My custom ones are for sale. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let, me kinda, let me go for a second. I want to put you. Oops, just wait. There you go. Yeah, those are the owner, the blockheads. Those are new. They just came out. They're just the weedless ones. So, I mean, places where there's more weeds, you know, got more snags in the rocks and stuff, it's a little bit better. You're not maybe going to lose as many. But generally speaking, I throw on the open one just because um, unless it's real weedy or there's, there's real heavy cover, most of the time I'm not fishing that. But I just want to be able to not have the plastic, you know, inhibit the hook set. So that's yeah. why I throw the, the open hook a lot of the time. And did you say you go braid the floral for your Ned? I do. Yeah, braid to fluoro. So I'll run like a 10, 10 pound braid with a uh, liter of like eight to 10 pound gamma edge, especially because it's abrasion resistant. I like that. And then how long a liter do you like to run? Like, Depends you, on how clear the water is. Like honestly. 12 foot liter. I mean, what is your rule of thumb? Yeah, like Most of the time, I would say. Guy, short liter guy, 12? Yeah, 10 to 12 um, in the clear water situations. If it's not that clear, I don't really worry about the length as much if it's more stained water I, I don't think they're going to see it in places where they can see 20 feet yeah it, it matters i mean you, if you guys remember that tournament at malax where seth kind of came onto the scene he uh was throwing like a 20 foot leader or something crazy so none there's like no gray in the water basically when he was dropping on them mm -hmm. yeah i think the biggest thing for me is not the visibility because I think if it's three, four feet, they're not going to see it. But uh, I mean, if you're casting a swim bait and you're kind of like right yeah. in the next kind of trail, but for like a net or a shaky head, like I don't think that's important. I think it's the fact that like if I'm going to retie it a bunch of times, I don't have to retie the leader so often. So yeah, that is another reason I do it too. I like to go a little. Yeah, like two big pulls off the spool with my arms, and that's about what I run. So that's probably especially with a drop shot. If you're doing yeah. that, because I mean that eats up so much of your line when if you break off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw that you had three sixteenths. Is that a go-to weight, or is that just what you had handy? Yeah, three sixteenths is probably the one I use the most. Um, I like like the quick fall on it. I mean, okay. there's there's days where they don't want that; they want something slower. But I do like the quick fall on the net. It keeps it gets down there quick, and it keeps it on the bottom. That's a little heavier than average i think than most it people is. it is but it's probably because i fish deep a lot you know on erie and stuff so i generally mm -hmm. try to go heavier it's hard to keep your bait on the bottom especially with wind and the waves right. if you're not throwing a heavier head so what's different for you when you're largey versus smally fishing with a net so i don't generally fish for large mouths with a net a ton um okay. but i wouldn't you know, I go with a little bit bigger worm. I mean, you can flip it in the grass, like the old jig worm kind of situation right. area. So, like, you know, the bigger four-inch, five-inch, even that giant one now they got, um, like six or so. 
So those are the things I would do when I'm largemouth fishing, especially if I'm wedge fishing a lot of times and throw a bigger one. I mean, generally bigger baits, bigger bites. I do believe in that. And then, so I guess, did you say what baits do you like for smallies? What's that on the net? Yeah. Yeah, so I just like like the, the generic one. I mean, I just want like a straight tail, like just that kind of worm. So, uh, Berkeley may or may not be working on one here soon. So Max, are you more of a traditional plastic, not a elastic guy? I like the elastic. I mean, that was the first one, and I, I do use that. Um, I've I've honestly tried a lot of them, and I have a bunch in my box, so I like rotate through them just to see if one's working better than the other throughout the day. But it's hard to say. I mean, there's definitely situations where one works better than the other. Mm -hmm. But it is nice that play, that floats. Uh -huh. Do you play around with colors a lot, or do you have a couple select I colors? I do. I try to play around with colors a lot more. There's a couple that I, I like definitely confident in, just like any of your like goby, perch, bait fish, craw imitations, like just like the generic ones. I'm confident in those, but I will try to play around with some of the crazy ones once in a while, like the more gaudy ones, the chartreuse ones, and the black and the pink and that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah, I found myself liking the Tickler Z a lot. That's for whatever reason. That's very, yeah, it's a good bait. I do use that one. If, if, in my head, because it's got a little tentacles, it makes me feel more confident than just the TRD. So. Yeah, hey, this is something different than other people are throwing. There you go. Yeah. This fish I haven't seen as many, maybe. Connor, have I ever fished a river by St. Cloud? I think one time I put my boat in near like Andale Clearwater area, Clear Lake there, but I haven't really fished by St. Cloud, but um, cool. All right, nice. So what else What else has been happening around you? Like, so if people live in your area, Pennsylvania, what, what, what's the bite been like? What What should people be doing if they're not catching fish in the Northeast? What do you think's going on? What's, what's the best bet? So, like Erie is kind of in that tough in-between phase right now, like between the spawn, post-spawn, summer pattern. So they're kind of scattered. I mean, there's still fish doing – they're in all three phases. So it's kind of, I would say, more jumping around instead of just milking an area more so right now is a good strategy. Um, you know, for the largemouth bite, they're, they're mostly getting their summertime patterns here. So you've got the – you know, the, the bluegill spawn, you know, going on right now. Some good target for large amount mm -hmm. around here, too. And, you know, the top water bites starting to get good at the rivers and stuff around here, too. Little buzz baits and poppers and stuff. Nice. The three rivers. Infamous. Do you fish the three rivers? A little bit. Not a ton. I like it, honestly. You know what you're getting, I mean. Right. Mostly small fish, but it can be fun. Like you, you usually catch a lot of fish. They just might not be giants, but you can get some decent ones there. It's like every time you go, you're like on the old episode of uh, City Limits with Ike, right? Like yeah. Where <laughs> I remember that one. I think he got really mad in that one, like broke his rod or something. Shocker. Yeah. I think he broke off, like they're in an outflow or something, and he like broke his rod. If you could just have all the all the abus that he's broken, you'd have a lot more. 
<laughs> yeah, you could you could feed a family for like two years. <laughs> yeah. uh, cool. So you said you, you're a big frog guy. What's what's uh, what's your? I mean, are you a popping frog, a walking frog? You fish them all. What are some of your favorite frogs? I definitely fish them all, but I am a, a more of a walking frog guy. I like to, you know, kind of walk it in place. I like to skip it around stuff. And I do throw both. I just definitely throw the walking one more. I feel like I can keep it in place pretty well. Um, unless I'm fishing heavier vegetation, like where the popping is going to really help a lot. I feel like I can do like a more subtle approach with the walking one and, and get some, some good bites doing it. Uh, yeah, I, I like the walk-in as well. Uh, there are times the pop-in is definitely good, but I feel like even in that vegetation, there are times when the pop-in catches stuff too much where you can't work it as well as you'd want to. Yeah. So I feel like it's a little more niche. I know a lot of people prefer it, but for me, I prefer the walk-in frog and I feel like the hookups are, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm a, I like to really walk it and let it sit there and, and dance more than oh, yeah. uh, chug it. So. Me too. Uh, what, what kind of frogs are you, like, are your favorite? So I'm, I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but I really like the, the live target frogs since they came yeah. out a long time ago. I mean, they look realistic. Obviously, the fish isn't really seeing that. It's on top, but there's something about them. They skip really well. Um, they're pretty consistent. They've got good hooks on them. I, I like those those copper, the, the live target frogs. They're pretty good, good frogs. I like the 65 size, the best, like the kind of – medium big kind of one and they're a little the live target a little bit wider than like a spro right they're a little yeah, bigger it is. yeah yeah it walks real easy too it's a good yep. frog all around i like the terminator quite a bit like yeah a lot of people have said they like that one um it's got a good hook in it i got a couple that i'm trying to fix the only the only negative on them is the the weights like i feel like that's the downfall of most frogs is the weights falling out of the bottom yeah and then, uh, but speaking of the live target, I do have, like, these were my OG favorite frogs. Were these evolved frogs? Evolved, cool. And these guys were up in your neck of the woods at one time. Really? I heard of them. Yeah. At least in that part of the country. It sounds uh, kind of familiar. But they're very, I mean, they look similar to the live target. Uh, they do, yeah. They look very similar. I've got a bunch of them over here that I'm fixing. <laughs> but I like the fact that these particular ones are super soft and they've got like a big hook in them. And uh, my, here's a hack for you guys. Like when the weight falls out on this style, I feed a Senko. So a real dense, like salty, like heavy plastic into the, where that hole is. And then I glue it in and then trim it flat. And that works pretty good to bring some life back to a frog that uh, is missing its weight. That's cool. You just taught me something. That's a good little trick. It doesn't work for like the Terminator that has like a molded cavity, right? Ah, uh, gotcha. Where these ones have, that's like where the weight is, is a hole. So like you can feed it in there and like cut it off and get a little weight. So I need to like find some kind of lead that I can smash into that shape and glue those in. But the live target one's the same as that evolved one yeah. that you have. All right. Uh, nothing like aggressive slot fish, hundred percent like oh, yeah. 
on the on the Mississippi River here, you'll find like the the key is finding like that good grass with the, the with a clear of the black water coming through it, and then like duckweed over that mat. That's what I hear. They'll school up, and like you'll be like working your frog through there, and one will be like whoosh, and like before you can even move it again, one's coming from the other side trying to like. Oh my gosh, that's so much fun! Schooling under the duckweed on your frog—it's unbelievable. Well, no wonder you like frogs so much. <laughs> that sounds incredible. So Sycamore says, "What color belly is best for a frog?" What do you think? I think that really depends on what's going on, um, you know, at the time of year. So you've got mayfly hatches, you've got you know brim spot. When the mayflies are hatching, I think that's when a brown frog is, is a little bit better. I mean, if if you hear some of like the better froggers talk, they say, like an issue, I was going to say, a black frog on, I believe it's cloudy days, and a white frog on sunny days, or maybe that's reversed. But, um, like, he's like, yeah, I wouldn't look too much into it. And generally, I don't, but I do mix it up a little bit just to see if it makes a difference. So I will use like a chartreuse belly sometimes, especially Mm -hmm. around like the brim spawn. And I think it makes a difference at sometimes, at least in my own head, you know. Yeah. I would say that, like, when in doubt, like, if I don't really know, if I don't have any strong hunch about forage or history, I'm usually going to start with a black. Yeah. It's, it's probably the most wrong. Can't go wrong with a black. Um, it can, may not always be the best one, but I feel like that's a good place to start. If I'm getting hits and they're not eating it, that's when I start to, like, rotate you know, but I mean, if I see shad, like in the water, I'm going to go to white. If I see like they really feel like they're keen on the bluegills, I'm going to go on a brown or a more of a natural color probably. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, to me, black is a really safe place to start, at least for me, at least where I fish most. So. Oh, exactly. Corey Greathouse says it seems like every show. Well. Frogs are, and this guy likes popping frogs himself. So, um, <laughs> that's a good question. Ball Toy says, "Why don't companies mold over the weight?" That's a great idea for a frog. Like it should be completely encapsulated. Why would I want it to ever come out? We should I make them because they couldn't make any money. <laughs> yeah, because they've done a lot of advancements to like you know, protect the nose of frogs and those last longer than they used to the way they like weld them in and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Skirts are pretty good and they've got better venting holes, but yeah, it seems like the downfall is either a pike eats it or the weight comes out. Yeah. Pike are pretty hard on a frog. So Corey Greathouse is trying to get inside information for his fantasy team. As a fantasy Know if you're fishing for largemouth or brownfish at the St. Lawrence. Oh, brownfish, hundred percent. I think if you're fishing for largemouth there, in the past you could you could win there, but not anymore. If you're fishing for largemouth, you're fishing for a check. But being from Florida, you're only in Florida what like thirty percent of the year. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So. I hear a lot of people talk about the Jackal Gavacho. I have not tried that one, but I've heard a lot Me of people. Either. I've not tried that one either. I like to try to get those new ones and mess with them a little bit too, so I might have to mess with that one. Yeah, so Tom says a shot of silicone usually seals up any holes. Uh, but I will say that what I'm looking for here when I put the, the Senko in there is I'm looking for the weight 
to keel it correctly. Like I'm trying to replace it with some heavy plastic. So, uh, uh, PSA, there are no fish in the St. Floor River. Yep, we'll keep telling ourselves that. Uh, yeah, that's a place I definitely want to go fish. It seems really cool. I would love to get have up you, there. Have you been? So I assume you have not been. No. Well, the folks I've got is uh, Badenoch, uh, Michigan, which is not very close. <laughs> pretty good up there, I assume. It, feels, it seems like all those random bays in Michigan are just yeah. ridiculously good. I would love to go back there now because when I had a divisional tournament there, I feel like I was a little green when it came to smallmouth, and I feel like I would definitely be much more comfortable now. Even though I, I did have a pretty good line through swim bait bite going in practice that kind of evaporated on me during the tournament. But. Not, not the 10 inch glide bait for smallmouth? No, I think that was before glides were even a thing that I knew about. Like, so Glide baits are sweet. I mean, you'll see some giant fish. Like it'll yeah. at least show you the fish. That's the cool thing. Yep. All time favorite 1.5 crank non-sponsored 1.5 i mean i've got a bunch of them from the back in the day the original the 1.5s the old kvds yeah katawachi special <laughs> nice yeah that was amazing uh, i would say for me i like that little ema square bill that's a good one um rich says what what are your thoughts on lake mini wash though and we have a lot of mini wa type sounding lakes, so I have to think about which one. I think this I'm one's gonna in, make a joke there. <laughs> it, it's in Minneapolis. Like we have mini Wawa, mini Washta, mini Waska, mini like it's I have to think about which one we're talking about. It's a good lake. Uh it's like a little mini Lake Minnetonka. So hmm. my thoughts are it's a cool name. Yeah. There's a lot of good lakes in that area too, Connor, for sure. Well, you guys are spoiled. I mean, Minnesota is just an amazing bass fishing lake or state, not a country. Maybe they'll see you. Have you been to Minnesota? Um, I fished like one time. I fished with Austin and Malax, and it was it was pretty dang sweet. With Felix? Yeah. Yeah. What time of year did you go? October. Okay, so like yeah, emo. Yeah. Were you guys just dragging kitex all day or what? Um, we did do some of that and then dropping on too. Sure. He caught one that was almost seven. It was pretty sweet. I caught two that were six, and he caught one almost seven. It can be pretty – like this time of year, it gets pretty tough because of the fishing pressure. and. I'm sure. Just, uh, like they get like – that lake gets hammered like no other lake around the spawn because it's big, but it's not so big that like almost all of them are getting hammered and caught. Like, <laughs> yeah, and they're small mouse on bed. Yeah. Like, they're, they're stupid. So I think post spawn on the lax is extra tough because they literally got raked over the coals physically uh, by the, the process of spawning and by the anglers. And they're just like, and then when oh. the fall, Oh, and it starts to get good. They start to wad up, and then it starts to get really good again. So, well, I don't know what that's like. Um, Presque Isle Bay, where I guide, is like really, really hot in the spring, and those fish, once they get on beds, probably get caught thirty times before they get off the bed, <laughs> if not more. There's three hundred people in a thirty-five hundred acre bay, three hundred boats. Yeah. Coy said he watched that video. Said it was amazing. So, you, did you have a you have a video of that on your YouTube channel? Um, I wasn't bed fishing, but I was probably one of the jerkbait 
ones where I was cracking on. I wonder, I wonder if you was, was did you did you film when you're on Malax? Uh, no. Uh. -uh. Okay. All right. You must be talking about that. Oh, so you, you talked about guiding on Erie and St. John's, is that right? Mm -hmm. So how did, like, let's assume, like, are you still doing a lot of guiding with Fish in the Elite Series, or is that kind of slowed down, or where is that at for you? Well, when we have this, like, hiatus, um, obviously everything was shut down for a while, but Pennsylvania reopened fishing guide trips, um, mm -hmm. I think, like, early, early May, maybe. So I was able to crank out a decent bit of trips here while we were off which helped i mean didn't really have much else to do on the weekends nice so how do people like when you have breaks do you have like a website or just slide into your dms on social or how do you book trips for guiding yeah i mean people dm me um or just yeah look at my website it's just my destinedamarian.com and i have like a guiding tab on it okay um, my my guide service is called big fat bass guide service Original, I like it. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so, whether they want to look in Florida in the spring or in the summer through fall on Erie, that's that's where to look you up. Yeah, exactly. So usually I'm at the St. John's. We just had a baby this year, so I wasn't there. And with the elites, I couldn't couldn't guide there mm -hmm. until after February. But um, I'm usually down there from like late January, February till uh, beginning of May, and that's when the fishing picks up at Erie. I go usually get one home and guide there the rest of the year. Nice. So how far from shore do you go out on Lake Erie? Sycamore wants to know. Um, so like I'll go a long ways away from where I would launch, but generally just the way the lake sets up, you're never more than uh, a mile or so offshore yeah. like off the physical shore. You can always see the shore because of just how the tapers are off the bank and stuff. So you once, once you get out past a mile or two, it just kind of, yeah, then you're like walleye fishing out there and <laughs> trolling in 100 feet. <laughs> Kyle wants to know, what would your guys' favorite technique to use during the summer on grassy lakes with almost no hard structure? Sounds like Cayuga. There is some hard structure there. Though. A little bit, but I mean like not yeah. a ton. But. Yeah, not a ton. Um. Mine be cracking grass lines, honestly. That's that's what I like to do at, at natural lakes and on weed lines and stuff. I like to crank them. I feel like you catch all sizes of fish, but you do target big fish too. I feel like so, you get some, some good bites too. Walk us through how do you attack grass lines with a crankbait? Like, are you paralleling? Are you 45 in? Like, what's like, are you feeling your way around? Are you graph? Like, what break down? Mm -hmm. Yeah, usually I'll graph it. So, like, you'll have, like, a hard grass line, and then you might have a little bit of grass down lower that's not growing as high. That's generally where you're going to be, you know, hitting your crank bit off and ripping it, and it's gonna re that's where those fish are going to react most of the time in those situations. So most of the time I'm paralleling it, sometimes I'll 45 it, but I'd say most of the time on a grass, a hard grass line, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to parallel it. Sure. You know, are you just, like, searching – or are you graphing and looking for key stretches and coming back and hitting those kind of key areas? I'd say it depends on how much time. So, like, with the Elite Series, that's been one of the biggest transitions is only having, like, two and a half days of practice. Like, with the Opens, you could practice for as long as you wanted, honestly. So I'd usually spend, like, five, six days. Mm -hmm. um, so 
like if you don't have that much time, you're just gonna kind of try to pick out good grass lines. Just go because you need to get some bites to get some confidence, and you can kind of hone in on them that way. Five more time, yeah. I really want to graph and dissect and, and pinpoint where I want to spend my my time. And like, are you, are you uh, floro cranking ten pound, twelve pound? Yeah, yeah, ten and twelve, depending on how. Um, like some of those places where the grass is, um, you've got the zebra mussels on it, it'll cut up your line real bad. So I would go more with the 12 in those scenarios. Um, maybe just use a little bit deeper crankbait if I need to get a little deeper, because the 10 is going to get you your crankbait deeper. But those zebra mussels on the weeds might cut up your line, and it just might be more advantageous to go with 12 in that situation, 12 or even 14. Yeah. I would say for me, a couple of years ago, I would be fishing – inside turns and key spots with like a jig worm or something like that or a drop shot or a jig but now like i've really gotten into flipping grass so i think kyle i would get a half ounce three quarter ounce tungsten texas rig or a jig and i'd try to find those schools flipping the grass i feel like that's a a really underrated and the thing i like about it is with the movement of electronics where everybody feels like they are like a combination of mark rose and uh Jason Lambert and they're out there scanning, looking for all these like rocks and sweet spots and transition areas. There's less and less guys that are willing to just roll up their sleeves and put in the work and fish for them. So that, that's kind of my take on it. Coy's uh, got an interesting question. He says, I fished a lake last year and smashed them on a frog against reeds on an overcast day. The next day it was sunny and hot, gone, couldn't catch them on anything in that three foot zone. What do you think? What do you think happened? Are you sure they didn't just go? You said you caught them on against the reeds. Are you sure they just didn't go up in the reeds more because of the sun? I mean, they could have done that, or they could have just pulled off. If there was, no, if the reeds were like not necessarily close enough together to to really have a canopy and stuff, like they probably they might not went in there. But if there's like you got grass close by, they might just went out to do whatever grass or whatever is available. If, if it's not thick enough. Yeah. Um, I would say it kind of depends. Like also wind typically is a big deal for reeds in my opinion, even if it's just a little breeze that really helps a lot. Um, if there is thicker reeds or there's like clumps of grass in the reeds where they'll make little mats, that can be really good. But I would guess that some of them went shallower and some of them pulled out. Uh, yeah. Typically on a reed edge like that, I think they are like they don't live there i don't think it's very like a feeding type thing they get up and they eat there they don't live there in my experience um how far do they travel i guess it depends on the lake but yeah depends on what's available to them how close deep water is several hundred yards easily yeah there's nothing for them to swim that far a football field or two, <laughs> like easily. Um, cool, good questions, guys. Thanks for the questions. Mm-hmm. Fire them off. I like it. So, uh, were you scheduled to go to ICAST this year? Um, yeah, I'm sure I would have went to ICAST. Obviously, we found out pretty early, but I'm sure I would have been there. Obviously, it was the Cuga week too, so I mean, we had to right. reschedule. Um, that too. Maybe scheduled. They knew. It was already not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. 
But uh, did you go? Have you been to ICAST in the past? No. So I was kind of looking forward to that. It was, was going to be cool. Have you? Have you won it yourself? Nope. Nope. Never. Uh, not been. I know some guys. You know, say they missed it. And other guys are like, <clears throat> yeah, good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> like Seth, I know is like, thank God that is like the least of my element ever. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I could see him saying that. So Brian Waterman says, how long do you need to let a spot rest before you refish it? Mm, I mean, that's variable, but I would say I've come back maybe 20, 30 minutes. I would say that's a good minimum. That doesn't mean they'll be there in 20 minutes. Uh, I think 20 minutes is a good minimum. I mean, you could come back. I've, I've said, you know, I've had places that every time you come back, you get a couple bites. And I've had times that once you like run through them in the morning, you could check it six more times and you'll not get another bite. I think a lot has to do with, you know, <clears throat> did you just disperse them or were they only there because of a bait deal or a shade deal or a wind deal or a current, right? There's a lot of factors that why were they there? Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you can just beat the crap out of them too. Yeah. Swimjig50 says, do you abandon flipping in windy conditions? It might be better for you. Um, it depends on the wind. A little breeze and a decent is good, but there is a point where it riles up the water, and I think it becomes counterproductive. Well, then you're probably better off reaction strike horizontal baits at some point you know at some point if it gets wavy enough you're probably better off going with a spinner bait or a swim jig or a chatter bait or you know or you might just have to duplicate what you did in a different area where you're not getting hit maybe as directly as hard with the wind so so is there anything that any of the companies you work with that are working on that was going to be it's going to be exciting at the virtual icast that uh, people should be watching for or? Well, I did mention those um, the new colors, the dredgers, the HD colors. That's going to be cool. Just more realistic colors. Uh -huh. um, they've got a couple new sizes on the Fritz side, which has been a popular cold water bait. Obviously, they've got a little bit bigger one, a little bit smaller one. So, like the Biggie and the Junior. And I'm um, obviously about the high end spinning stuff. So, the Abu, the Xenon is coming out. I think it's like almost five hundred dollars, but it's pretty freaking. Nasty. It looks pretty nasty. So that's a, a five hundred dollar rod from Abu. A uh, real, real. Okay. Yeah. So it's like yeah. It's super light. Super light type. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like I think it's like the the JDM kind of real. Brian says, "What's your favorite way to fish in the setup? Would it have been the frog setup we talked about." Or? Yeah, for sure. Definitely a frog. It's like a, a frog, hollow belly, uh, 50 pound braid, and a 7.3. Uh, heavy with a fast gear ratio, real like a 7.3 seven, seven, to 1 STX probably would be. Okay. Connor says, What would you do if you show up on a tourney day and none of the conditions are the same <laughs> practice? Panic box. <laughs> Grab the head rig. <laughs> Just. Sometimes, like, you just go fishing. Um, there's been times in tournaments where, like, everything just falls apart. And like, well, let's just kind of start practicing again and try doing new things. And sometimes you can really salvage your day doing that. And sometimes it's just really bomb. But it's better than just 
going with what we were doing and just bombing that way because obviously that's not working. Yeah, um, I agree. Like you just, I think you can fish those areas, but I think sometimes you have to fish the conditions within those areas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm flipping because it was high sun, you know, maybe you need to throw a chatterbait in that area and cover the flat, you know, it kind of depends. Kind of, so what do you guys think the best $100 to $130 bait casting reel is? Revo X is pretty sweet. I think it's, I think it's either 99 or 129 price point. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty good all around versatile For me, I would say the Tatula. CT is pretty good at that price point. And then the Shimano SLX XT. Another, like, if you're looking at, like, those are all three good options at that price point. I've heard good things about the SLX. Who has the best flip top, flip flop tandem? I'm going to go ahead and say it's Destiny because I don't wear flip flops when I fish. So, uh, I, yeah, uh, I don't have flip flop tan, but I definitely have like. Pretty crazy farmer tan going on. Yeah. So I wear like these. I don't have them out here. They're you, you can see them in my videos. They're like running shoes. They're outdoor barefoot running shoes, and they got holes in them like Crocs, but they're not Crocs. They're like an athletic shoe, and so they like weigh like two ounces each, and they have like nothing in there that can take odor or smell. And if they get wet, they dry out in about 10 seconds. It's that's. I feel like it gives me the, the coolness of flip flops, but like, like the maneuverability and traction of tennis shoes. So, so I do get these little dots on my feet. They're a little weird, but it's <laughs> pretty cool. It looks like dirt. Uh, Stanley, what's your go-to plan on a rainy day in the north? Let's assume we're talking summer, right? Like not like yeah. early, like so. Like I would say, if it's not like pouring, I'm gonna definitely give top water a whirl. Like that's usually you know drizzle, steady drizzle, top water, buzz baits, walking baits. Those are good, and then uh, probably like a bladed jig. Yeah, I think those are all good. Um, so, like, on the Erie or somewhere like that, uh, I'd say more of, like, a drop shot kind of bottom stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like smallmouths, especially when it's overcast, rainy, a lot of times they really are more on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, sunny, I think, you're getting moving around a little bit more. I agree. I was thinking largemouth for sure. Yeah. Well, they, they got two good answers on both. My preference is to like uh, rainy, cloudy day, and you have the choice: go fish largies, and on those sunny, still days, go fish smallies. At least in the north. <clears throat> oh, hundred percent. I mean, your best smallmouth days are always when it's sunny. I, I've almost never had as even close to a good day as when it's overcast or rainy. But I have heard when you go down south in like Tennessee and Pickwick and that kind of stuff, it's not the same. It's probably because more current-oriented, like them turn on the current, like TVA stuff. That and I think the shad are also a player. Where I think the lakes, the natural lakes we fish, just more smelt and alewives and things like that. And I think they react different in the sun than shad do. So true, because they're more 
Like an outlaw is like a herring. Right. Um, Corey says, do you guys ever target other species? Yeah. Um, I grew up fishing for literally everything. I, I still enjoy fishing for everything. I don't get to do it as much. But, I mean, I grew up fishing for pike, walleye, trout, catfish. I mean, I still really enjoy fishing for catfish if you just want to, like, kick back and set a couple rods out and let them go. Yeah, I do. I used to, like, every year we used to go up to Lake of the Woods and fish walleyes for a week or two. I just don't really make time to do that anymore. But other than that, a little bit in the spring, I fish for panfish, but not a lot. Uh, if I go on a trip with my family, I'll usually spend a little time fishing for crappies or, or uh, pike and flay those up. But yeah, I do like to food fish a little bit too. If yeah. I have what the, I guess when you're down in Florida, you ever like do inshore stuff for food or a little bit? Yeah, that that is another thing I do. I get a buddy of mine is a guide on the Gulf side, so he does tarpon and he does all the inshore. I haven't caught a tarpon yet. I've I've never went down when like that's hot, but we do like redfish, snook, um, that kind of stuff. That's fun. Uh, Brian Warren says, "What is the one fish that got away that you want back?" <laughs> Um, I'd say the most recent memory is you fall on day two. I had another six pounder break me off. Um, probably that one, but realistically, I'd say last year at Oneida, I only had four fish the second day I made the elites. I had another four and a half pounder at the boat, and it came off like when my hand was down there. So that one, it probably. I mean, I finished second. I, it might have got me the points, like to win. Sure. Yeah, I would say like I, I think back to like 2001. I fished the state tournament on golf, and I was leading after day one, and then I ended up finishing second by like 0.02 pounds <laughs> in the day on a jig worm in my head. This is the, I'm probably back then. I was probably fishing like 10 pound mono, straight mono on a spinning rod, like. This was like 2001, <laughs> uh, and uh, just you know, one of them bites, and it just comes straight up and just flicks it. And it was like 10 minutes ago, and it was a keeper. And I mean, I didn't need much. It was just any little upgrade, I would have had a state title. So uh, uh, the one that got away. Yeah, and I can think of another big one, right? I had like a six pounder under a dock, and he got off, and that cost me a, a big tournament. Um, but that's that to me. It's all about tournaments and big fish or key fish in tournaments that. Oh, harp Bill Batterman wants to know what when the bait is really small, like little one inch shad. What do you throw? So, like a really small swim bait. A lot of times, like a two point eight, three point three. That would be one. Like a really, really small grub is another one when the bait's really small. Um, I mean, even your net rig is a great imitation of small bait. Like the, the small one, the two point seven five, like the three inch. That one's going to be a great. Small bait imitation too. Yeah. Little finesse, finesse jigs too. Sycamore in the Midwest, Indiana. What is the most obvious lure you would tie on first in July? Midwest. The large. Yeah, I assume. I know a lot of those Indiana lakes they get offshore, um, but I'm sure you still catch them off docks and stuff. I would say, I would say a jig. I'm gonna go with your your thing there, Rich, because you could, you know, you could bang some of those docks, but you could also fish on some of the offshore structure there, and 
you're going to catch generally good quality tournament fish on jig. Yeah, I'd say that or a big worm. Like a magnum shaky head, maybe. Uh, no, Bill wants to do any fan. I actually have a fan tonight. Thank you. Yeah, he lost a boat by point two. I've oh. lost three state tournaments total by eight ounces or less. Combined. Oh my gosh, that's three state tournaments that I've lost, I've eight ounce combined, and those are both two day tournaments. So ten fish in each. You know. Uh, any beginner bass tournaments in the Twin Cities? I would say, Connor, join a Bass Nation club and uh, hit me up in my DMs. I'll point you in the right direction on how to do that. Um, Ballin says, Hellbass, what motor are you thinking about getting to repower? I'm not getting a new motor. You may notice I am not sitting in my boat. I am standing in front of my bait wall. The boat is at the doctor, and it's getting a replacement powerhead on my 200 Merc. So um, that's where we're at. So. Make sure you hit that like and subscribe button and help me pay for that power head. <laughs> <laughs> they are definitely not cheap. No. What is a bait hack that you do that you are willing to tell? Bait hack. Yeah, so there's no boat here tonight. It's just floor. Just <laughs> me. <laughs> you got to have something sneaky. You're an elite pro. Right. Like, I was here with frogs. So here's yeah. frog react. So I, I will put rattles in my frogs, um, especially when you're fishing a little bit thicker grass, just to make a little bit more sound. So I'll just jam them in the body cavity there, um, where the hooks meet it. I'll try to jam them through there, and uh, usually they'll stay in there pretty good. But that's one little thing that I do to soup up the frog a little bit. Uh, I, I would say the same thing. Like I definitely do that. I was just going to show. I actually showed this previous, and McCoy's probably going to complain, but I have these little steel dowels that somehow, I don't know if I picked them up or found them, but they're just little, I don't know, half-inch little steel pieces. And they fit really nice through that little hook hole because they're skinny, and they don't break like glass rattles, right? And then you can shove them in there, and it's kind of a dull, but you can make a little noise, and I think, they displace a little more water in a mat. So I definitely like it when I'm fishing duckweeds and mats. There's one of my old live target ones. It's caught a heck of a lot of fish. <laughs> I put rattles in that one, though. But I got, like, some of these old True Tungsten Mad Max frogs. like those. I remember those. They go for big money on eBay now. Do they really? Every time yeah. they discontinue something, it ends up being the best bait ever. I've got an old original swamp donkey that needs a skirt. <clears throat> That's a good ease in here. All right. Show us the ball. Texas. Nastier, the better for smallmouth. Weather-wise? Okay. Guess hmm? I think Koi's saying oh, okay. Texas, like Nashoma and those northern places. Yeah. Uh, Bill wants to know T rig. How do you do it? Do both of you pin them? I guess we say peg them. Like peg, yeah. Uh, most of the time, not all the time. I'd say that's like something that's definitely not widely agreed upon, like with everybody. I think some guys are like never peg, and some guys are always peg, and you're going to have 
both, you know, trains of thought with people. I'm mostly pegline. I'd say mostly because I'm fishing in, you know, grass and different places like that where I just wanted to slide through there and I want it all to stay kind of compact. Yeah, I, I, I typically peg it, but I leave a little, I don't peg it tight. I leave like yeah, about that much. a quarter inch or something like that, a little, so it can be, and I, I've been playing around with the ringed EWG hooks a lot this year to give them a little more movement. Yeah. We already talked about this, Bill. Depends what the fish want. Let the fish tell you, black or white. <laughs> if you would have been walking your dog past my house, you would have already heard this, Bill. What's up, Michael Minnan? Uh, thanks for joining. Whew. All right. What, so what? how far out is St. Lawrence the next one? Is it two weeks out or three weeks out, or how far is it out? Yeah, so as long as we have that tournament, we would start practice not this weekend but the following. Okay. So I think if this works out next week, I'm going to be talking with Ronnie more about fantasy fishing next week on the stream. So, so. so. <laughs> hopefully we're talking about this. Uh, what do you want to know? Favorite Marvel movie? Oh, man. I'm going to be 100% well, honest. I'm not really like a big superhero guy. I, I'm a Batman guy. Obviously, that's, that's not You're a DC Marvel. guy, right? I think that's right. DC. I, I've always liked Batman just because he's like a real dude. Like He doesn't have superpowers. You know what sure. I mean? But Spider-Man's Marvel, right? Is Deadpool an okay answer? <laughs> Spider-Man is Marvel, right, Rich? No. Spider-Man? I'm not yeah, sure. When I travel for work, I watch those on Delta flights, but I'm really not like uh, a Marvel buff. I would say yeah. of all those movies, I like Deadpool the best. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to watch that one yet. I heard it's hilarious. But, if, yeah, yeah if, if Spider-Man's a Marvel, I do like Spider-Man. <laughs> Owen says, are you going to the Shields grand opening at Eden Prairie, Minnesota this weekend? I don't think I'll make it. I have no interest in joining the crowds. It sounds like uh, it'll be a cool store. I'll wait a month. and When things slow down, I'll maybe stop it. I don't think I'm going to go anywhere that has a grand opening right now. Like, I don't think I like going there on a normal, but then when you add the road on top of that, I have zero interest. Yeah, I ran into some uh, Rona while I was in Detroit. There was a uh, empty Corona bottle floating by me on the Detroit River. That's nice. <laughs> we should be Aquaman fans. I've seen Aquaman. It's a decent movie. I can get behind that. I haven't seen it. Um, I like that actor. He's cool. Yeah. Jason. There's some good like The soundtrack has a lot of rock music. It's kind of nice. Like, yeah, it's got a, some good song. Batterman says, Destin, five river baits. Uh -huh. <laughs> I love river fishing. Buzzbait, 100%. I would have that. Buzzbait, jig, crankbaits, I would say for river, more on the square bill side. Okay. I'd go frog. And then I would go a um, spinnerbait. Completely wrong, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Brian Waterman asked, do you fish a spot if you know there are fish there, but another boat beat you to the spot? And let's just assume he's talking about a tournament. He 
I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, like somebody that doesn't really know the sport about like, well, what if somebody wants to fish spots close to you? Like I said, well, there's really not like a written rule book, but there is like some quasi understood etiquette. So I'd say if you're far enough away in some situations, you want to be this far, but maybe in other situations you want to be that far away. So it's more of a play it by ear and maybe you get yelled at or you yell. Yeah. I think, there's a lot of things you have to ask yourself. One, is this a multi-day tournament or a single-day tournament? How good is this spot? Do you have other stuff? And how big is the spot? Like, those are all – I mean, there's a lot. Of, like, there's no, like, hard, fast rule, right? Like, if this is a one-day tournament and it's a decent-sized spot and you practiced it and – you know, boat draw shouldn't be the only determination on how the tournament goes, right? So, like, I would definitely pull up and be like, talk to them and see if there's a way you can work it out where you can both fish it. Uh, in a multi-day tournament, even on a small spot, I'm probably going to pull up and let them know that I intended to fish this spot so that when I have the better boat draw tomorrow, they're not pissed when I show up there first. Um, so I think there's a lot of things you got to think about and, uh, communicate, let them know like, Hey, you know what? This spot's not very big. I just want to let you know, I found it. I'm probably going to start here tomorrow. Don't be pissed when I'm here, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so. I think it's good. Like at the opens and the elite series level, I think most guys understand that. So you can pull up and be like, Hey, do you mind if I fish here too? I, I also like, I found these fish too. Like, oh, no, or, oh, man, I'm just fishing this one spot. Like, you can go over there. Like, I don't mind if you fish over that way or something like that. Like, as long as you communicate, you're probably not going to get in a, uh epic, you know, showdown. You're not going to get your boat pirated and you get in a fist fight like has happened before. Sycamore wants to know, do you have any pet peeve involved with pro tournaments or something annoying? Hmm. Not, not really much. I'd say the the only thing which I'd say most of the other guys would agree with me on this is having the meeting every time. Like I think it's really good the first tournament. Um, maybe just like some kind of little thing for the rest of the season, unless some magnanimously changes. But I think that's one that most of the guys don't look forward to. Yeah. And have they been doing virtual meetings for the, uh, yeah. the virtual meeting at Ufala? Uh, so yeah, we did. They just did a YouTube video, and we just had to go on and watch the YouTube video about you know the protocol and staying away from each other and how the tournament was going to be run. And I thought it went really smoothly. I mean, everybody. Is that a lot? Just out a pre-recorded link. Uh, ours was pre-recorded. Yeah. Nice. I think that. I mean, maybe that will be the one good thing that comes out of this. It was, yeah. The end of the pre-tournament meeting, whether it's a BFL or a Costa or an Open or whatever, like ugh, maybe well, start with them, but after that, like put the onus on, like here's the recording, here's you know, here's the memo. These are the things that are different about this body of water. <coughs> like I just talked to a buddy; he's fishing uh, Costa and Sandusky, well, Toyota series now, right? Um, he said they were just like two hundred some guys on a Zoom call. That's how they did their your meeting sounds awesome because at least a zoom call you just pop your phone up in your boat and yeah you just keep like yeah exactly so it's, it might help that i think that's going to definitely help us at least for this year 
<laughs> oh, a lot of times in the BFLs at a local level, guys bring their boats and park in the Walmart parking lot and just keep rigging at the meeting. <laughs> yeah, there you go. At least make some use of your time. Um, Shadow Bass, is there not a 100-yard rule? Not typically. Yeah, not a hard, fast one. Um, most of the stuff that I fish is a 25 or 50-yard rule, but the only way that's in effect is if you are anchored. Yeah. Um, and that usually is anchored without your trolling motor. Like, yeah, power poles down, trolling motor up. Motor has to be up and anchored uh, to be that in effect in most tournaments. <laughs> um, it says, somebody has justified their study, what's the meeting about? It's typically the same old stuff. It's like registration and like... Mm-hmm. Uh, five fish limit, 14 inch minimum, take off. This is how we're going to do it. This is the off limits. Like, it's nothing you can't cover in a one pager, typically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some like the first one of the season, that's nice. So you can kind of like meet everybody, you know, get the scoop. But then after that, it, it, does, it doesn't have as much of a purpose. Yeah. Um, Owen says, how would you guys fish a wobblehead? Do you fish it much? Like a biffle wobble? Yeah, I do. Uh, honestly, I, I was messing around with it more so this year and started catching them pretty good on it. But generally, I kind of fish like crankbait. You kind of fish it through cover. You fish it through like rocks and stuff. You want to make sure it's deflecting. It doesn't always necessarily have to be, but I want it to be hitting cover, like the rocks and different mm-hmm. kind of cover. Steady reel, generally. Yeah, uh, so I think there's two ways. You can drag it and fish it like a traditional football head and just have a little different look, uh, like a finesse football head, or you literally just bang it like like a square bill almost. Uh, does a camera in the boat change when things when you fish? So I can't say for sure because I haven't had one this year yet. Um, I just have a marshal. I mean, they're they're taking pictures and doing videos and stuff, but no, it doesn't change anything. Especially, you know, the marshal. I've had really good marshal experiences. My guys have been super cool, um, taking lots of videos and photos and really just trying to make my day better. It's been really cool. I will say, on a different level, when I have the GoPros running and I'm trying to make something that I plan on creating content for, there is a lot to recording yourself because uh, you feel like if you're going through the effort of setting things up, you kind of want to catch them. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, I feel like it's honestly kind of bad luck a little bit. Like sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm not going to run it. And then I'll end up like something cool happened. Like, dang it, why didn't I run the GoPro? Yeah. So that's a good segue, I guess. You do, you have like tried to step up your YouTube a little bit. It's <clears throat> trying to yeah. roll content what is kind of your objective for your youtube channel and what's it called so it's just my name it's just destined to marry um, fishing but really the objective is just try to help um share some of the things that i know share my passion for fishing to help mm-hmm. educate people that want to know more about bass fishing in general and i mean really follow the lead of people that what kind of content you want. I mean, I've got a lot of requests for things. I've been a little bit slow on getting some of them out. I'm, I'm going to get, get them out here soon, but I've just been super busy and I'll, hopefully this week I can crank out some more good stuff. Yeah. 
So I know you've done kind of like a little bit of a preview, delete, uh, kind of your your pre-practice, pre-scouting. I remember seeing one of those videos. Yeah. So it's kind of a little bit more like in the life of uh, the Elite Series Angler. And I know you featured some of the stuff you do with your sponsor, Dirt Edge, and how you like you go to these ball fields and you cook cook broths and stuff for the the guys. Yeah. And, doing that as much now with the things that where things are going but yeah exactly i'll probably get sued if i get, get covid and somebody gets sick or something i probably don't want to do that but yeah i did i mean the last two years up until this year i was doing a ton of those i mean i was taking customers out fishing on the boat all over the country in south florida to north california to maine everywhere in between so it's been cool i've got to travel a lot got to see a lot of country that i haven't been out west much so that was neat last year and Get to visit a lot of our customers who are just really down to earth, cool dudes. You know, like hanging out with them and like uh, you know following their seasons too. Because I mean, they've got a heck of a job taking care of those fields. You know, for the pro guys and, and the, the high level college stuff. So it's cool to see that how similar our lives are and how busy and how kind of married you are to the to what you're doing. Sure. Did you fish out west? I did. We went to uh, the Delta. Nice. Which was insanely cool. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> did you have somebody else's boat? Did you drag your boat out there? Or? I chucked mine the whole way out there. Wow. I, I visited customers the whole way out, and then I made a trip out there. Went to Sacramento, San Francisco, San Diego, you know, Giants, Padres. Then went to Phoenix. We got a plant there and spring training for the Giants, and then worked my way back and made a couple more stops and took a whole month. Did you stop at like Court Lane in Idaho or anything cool like that? Or man, I wish I had such a tight schedule to be through everything with a month. Believe me, I wanted to like take some trips up there. Actually, it was actually snowing when okay. I went in early October through like Wyoming and stuff. It was like 18, 19 degrees there. Any new baits coming up that you're looking forward to having in the lineup? Well, the one that I was saying was the, like, the HD dredger, so like the perch, the real, real live kind of perch looking ones that crankbait will be good i think at st Clair, big time perch eaters there um but probably the, the main one right now I'm trying to think any other ones of all the things that i've seen that i'm most excited about are the new sizes of the speed craw and the brush hog <laughs> i saw the other they have like a mid-sized brush hog now yeah, right? like, I'm, I'm i'm not i don't like you know like fra uh, like ducks and spiders and all this crazy stuff don't excite me. Like it's like, oh, a, a new tool and the meat and potatoes are to use. Sign me up. Exactly. Sycamore wants to know, like, what? Who are your main sponsors? So Dirt Edge is my title sponsor. Dirt Edge is a um, infield mix manufacturer. So we do essentially dirt. Um, we're pretty much the main player in baseball. Uh, we have almost every major league team down the way to, you know, your local parks and rec. There's probably some where you live that are dirt edge fields. But they're the main one, you know, pure fishing. So Abu Garcia Berkeley, um, Shred Finn makes all the funny memes on Facebook. Have you ever seen those? They've got mm -hmm. really cool apparel too. I mean, literally I could go on for a long time. I mean, how long? <laughs> There's like 10 or 11. So we got those when Centimark Corporation's roofing company. They've been with me for a long time. Um, we've got uh, Fish Sense, makes great blade bait, Vinsky, love that one, I've been using those forever. Um, got Gamma Line, um, totally all about the Gamma Edge fluorocarbon. Um, Power Pole's been with me for a long time. 
that's another product I'm looking forward to. I got the charge. I think it's pretty sweet. I sure. think they're probably talking about that more in ICAST, but the charge system has been really cool for me. Oh, gosh. Phoenix Boats as well. FC Marine is my dealership over in Ohio, Fisherman Central. Probably the mm-hmm. coolest tackle shop around. They have 77,000 SKUs, I think, at this shop, and you can walk in there. Well, I, I assume you can still walk in there now. I don't know. Ohio, I think, pulled back on things a little bit, but sure. uh, we got them. We got Gemini jerseys. I've been with them for a long time. And Owner Hooks. I've used them for a long time. I'm totally a big promoter owner. I love all of their stuff. And I think I think that's it. Nice. Oh, and Outdoors lithium batteries, too. That's a new sure. one. Yeah, that's cool. So have you noticed the big weight savings and like getting out of the hole? Yeah, like there used to be times if I had two or three people in my boat guiding, it was hard to get out on planes, especially if it was bigger guys. I mean, now it's just like right out of the hole, like every time without that extra weight in the back. Yeah. I kind of thought Powerpole was going to come out with their trolling motor at this ICAST. I was hoping to. I was really hoping so. They were kind of rumoring last year like it was almost ready, so I thought it was a slam dunk that it was coming out this year at the Classic. Yeah. But. Well, like everything with them, I really think they try to make sure it is as good as possible before bringing it, like, mainstream. So Connor wants to know, if you could add one rod to your lineup right now. Seven sixty four. Fantasies to premiere. And the, the reason being why right now is because I just I accidentally broke mine in my truck. So that I need my Carolina rig rod back. <laughs> of the long rods, they're a little more prone to getting caught in places for sure. Exactly. Well, that's my Carolina rig use. For me, uh, price no option, I would like to get the Dobbins Ecstasy 725, 7.25 power. I think that'd be a sweet stick. So. Seven two, that's an interesting size. Yeah, so I mean, I've got a bunch of sevens and a bunch of seven fours, so I thought it'd be just kind of nice to. The novelty of the seven two rod. Yeah, and I think it could be like, like we talked about that. Like, I might get rid of my seven oh five if I really like that seven twenty five type thing. Um, heavy flipping for heavy flipping. Are you a straight shank EWG? Like, what's your? I, I'm an owner jungle. Four out okay. most of the time is what I use. But, I mean, one of my good friends in Florida is probably the best puncher. He's one of the best punchers I've ever seen. I mean, he's like elite series level, top level puncher. Like, that's his thing. And he's he tries all of them. And he's straightened out pretty much every single flipping hook. He, he has to train that sucker out. So, I will go and with this one. Is it jungle a straight shank? It is a straight shank. Yep, it's got a little keeper on the back. Help your baits down. You snell guy, or what's your not? I am a double snell guy. Okay. So double the loop, do the snell, not same thing as you do. And I just feel like I've never, never broken it. It's not slipped on me. If you tie a good knot, and it helps. It not like helps hook them in the top of the mouth a little better. We've, we've, we've talked a lot about that on the streams, and I, I feel it personally has to do a lot with your mechanics, and it's about finding the knot and the hook that works for your mechanics. It's not necessarily what's the right answer. So, 
Um, Connor says, what brand, so what is your setup for braid to floral? What brand or what brand, uh, and I mean, I assume you're using the pure fishing, but which pure fishing lines are you selecting for your braid to floral? I'm not, um, I'm not a pure fishing line. Oh, sorry, sorry, you're using gamma. Is there a gamma braid that you use? So gamma's got torque. I will use the torque 10 a little bit. It's more of a, it's like a hollow core. Um, sure. I use it like like an eight or a higher eight strand or higher for spinning mm-hmm. rod setups because I feel like it's just smoother and cast lock easier. So I've mixed I've messed around with some different ones for spinning stuff. So I use the torque for other braid applications, but just a variety of different ones. I've tried Daiwa J braid is pretty solid, cheap. Um, Suffolk. Are you are you like an FG guy or an Alberto or what's your? Yeah, I'm a. I'm an improved Albright guy, yeah. for sure. Um, I think it's quick, it's pretty foolproof, and you don't necessarily have to worry about the slipping. You know, the FG is the strongest, it's the best, but slippage. If you don't tie a perfect knot, it, it's going to bite you. Right. It's it's When perfect, it's the best knot, but it's not the most forgiving. Like, it doesn't uh, – yeah, some of the other ones you can tie – and they're going to be pretty good, even if they're not perfect, right? Whereas, yeah, so. exactly. Sycamore says his favorite rod is a five-eight glass, heavy. Uh, don't break it because you probably can't get another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've never seen a five-eight glass rod. That would pretty like had, a nasty little square bill rod. I think I had an old all-star like pistol grip back in the day that was like five something, but <laughs> <laughs> cutting. Cutting or needle points? Oh, for the owners? Uh, I, I assume that's what he's talking about. For, I mean, for my for my special med rig, I throw the needle point or throw the super needle point. Or, but the jungle is like a cutting point. I don't know. Mm, like the wide the the wide gap hook is. Like sure. Just like wide gap hook. Yeah. I don't know what the jungle hook if it's cutting your needle, honestly. I guess I don't I, I don't get that specific. Like if it's sharp, it's sharp. <laughs> I think it's like you know, like a diamond, how you got a certain amount of cuts and stuff, like however they cut it. Yeah, I think that's just the difference for them. Ooh. Oh what sh- Who's the best at casting on tour? Do you practice at all? Fishing is enough. Practice at all. So do you practice casting off the water? Oh, that's right. Okay. So um, casting or skipping, I I assume, probably like skipping, casting into tight spots, kind of casting you're referring to. I mean, shoot, my uh, travel partner's pretty damn good. His name's Hank Cherry. Those those Lake Norman, like, Carolinas guys are super accurate with those jigs around docks and pretty much anywhere. They can put, put stuff anywhere they want. Uh, he'd be one. Swindle's obviously another really, really precise, you know, good caster. So did, did, did Hank at least pick up the dinner one time when you were traveling after he won the Classic, or...? Yeah, especially at Ufala when I didn't make the cut, the first cut, and he did. I was like, you're buying dinner tonight, right? Of course 
<laughs> nice. And he tipped them like a crap ton. They they were like hyperventilating. They never got that big of a tip. Nice. He's a nice guy. Yeah, I feel like Hank is a little misunderstood. I don't. I mean, I do he too. in the public eye, he doesn't come across as the most approachable, like charismatic guy. But I, I mean, I think he's a pretty good dude. It just. I think when you're, I'm sure you see the other side of him, but I think on the, under the spotlight, it doesn't necessarily shine, I guess. Yeah. Um, somebody wants to know which are you most excited about the rest of the season? I'd say Thousand Islands. Um, I haven't fished there much, and I think they're going to be shallow if we get to fish it. I think, I mean, they're going to be both, but I think I'll be able to fish shallow and catch them, which would be sweet. Yeah, it's just beautiful up there. Yeah. Um, I don't know, do you fish any of the natural lakes in Florida? I guess he wants to know, like, how, how do you break them down when everything looks amazing? And maybe that's true. Johns, too. But, I mean, Okeechobee's got- natural. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've dammed up a lot of these places. They essentially are natural. Right. Yeah, I fish Okeechobee, I fish Toho, Harris Chain, all that. So, so what, what 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 would you say like top keep like when you're trying to break down and there's just reed heads and <laughs> like everything for everywhere? Like, what are some key things to look for? That's a good one. You know, the biggest thing in Florida, and this is one of the things the guys in Florida they really don't need electronics. I mean, certain places you do in Florida, mm-hmm. you use the end of your rod. That's going to tell you. A lot yeah. about where you're fishing the bottom composition is really key so you've got you know stretches of reeds that go tons and tons of miles like on a place like Okeechobee but if the bottom's mushy and crappy if it's not a hard bottom generally they're not going to be there at least not in good numbers so using the end of your rod kind of feel if it's a hard bottom that's probably the main thing if, if I had to pick one really yeah and I think the other thing is look for where things come together where pads meet reeds, where yeah, like, transitions, transitions, or where you've got multiple good things coming together in an area. That's also a, a place to start for sure. Uh, water clarity is another one too, especially in Florida. You but that can change water day, So <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a lot of times when it's not clear in the area that you're catching them in, yeah. you're not going to catch them. Well, that's some of that is like certain areas are never clear, and you got to just chalk those up and the other ones are like it, it, it comes and goes so it's wind derived a lot of times like if the wind pushes a lot of muddy water in an area it can ruin your best spot um i don't know if you use any of the ringed ewgs uh I but some. i uh, i like tying a double double san diego jam knot on those with fluorocarbon polymer with braid but it sounds like a like a fancy peanut butter and jelly sandwich San Diego Jam, double San Diego Jam. Well, cool. Well, I think, Destin, we've kept you up late enough. You're on the East Coast. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, I wish you the luck on the, the rest of the season. I'd like to hopefully sure. this northern swing and uh, get yourself up in the points so that you can brace yourself for Santee Cooper in the fall. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that one is going to be challenging for sure. Yeah, so – um yeah it's been great thanks for making the time uh yeah, you guys you. uh destin i think it's destined to fish on instagram 
I've got links to his, uh, I'll have links to his YouTube and his Facebook accounts down below. Um, and uh, anything else you want to let people know? Um, no, really. I mean, thanks for the great questions. I think we had a really good, diverse, um, you know, question, a bunch of questions. And I, I enjoyed uh, talking some fishing with you. Thanks for having me, Rich. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, for you guys that came in late, you can watch the replay. Uh, tomorrow sometime there'll be a link to the podcast. We just want to listen to the, the sweet tones of Destin breaking down all this stuff. Um, but as always, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure you subscribe if you're not already subscribing. And as always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.